Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today is Thursday, which means Guy Talk is going to start in minutes if any of these guys ever show up. <laughs> I think they're going to be here soon, but right now it's just me in the we? studio. Oh, wait. Oh, you guys are here. <laughs> so chop liver, Jeff. Sorry. You know, we are missing uh, Pastor Tom Parrish today, but the uh, power panel today is Dr. Peter Kapster and Jeff Verdorn. So you let me know what the questions are. Send them over via text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I want to start with a question which I sent to you guys earlier today. The whole idea about uh, being intellectually persuaded but spiritually uncommitted. Mm. And I think it also ties into Hebrews 6. Um, So... You guys got quite a little banter going today. We did. We went back and forth quite a bit. Maybe, Jeff, I, would it be helpful to just read that passage Ab- in Hebrews? Ab- it's a little bit. I don't absolutely. have it in front of me. Do either of you two? Do you? I, I'm almost... Okay, I'm ready. Do it. So we were talking about Hebrews 6, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. So I'll read those just now. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And you and I were talking about Jeff and in our conversation back and forth. I, I think the question that comes up with this, right, is people hear some of the language of this and they say, does that mean that somebody can lose their salvation? It's the classic question that we mm-hmm. kick around quite a bit, but I don't know that we've ever kicked it around in the context of this passage before. And I, I think you do such a good job of just laying out what maybe some of the issues might be and how to understand assurance of salvation. And then maybe we can get in some of the weeds of the passage itself too. Sure. I, well, first, and I know that we've talked about this before, that we agree on such an important doctrine is this doctrine of assurance of salvation, that once a person is born again, once they receive the Holy Spirit, as Jesus himself says, I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will be with you forever. And so I think over and over and over again in in uh, the New Testament, I think this doctrine of assurance is reiterated in so many ways. One of the most powerful ones, obviously, is Ephesians 1 that says, having believed, you were marked in him with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, who is at the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance of those who are in Christ Jesus. So we see that if you if you look at all the passages of Scripture, I think the conclusion is, is that the believer has assurance. Once you're born again, you're born again for all of eternity. Um, if I could lose my eternal life, it was something just short of eternal, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So taking that doctrine to this passage, we now have to examine, okay, who are the ones that the author of Hebrews is talking about? Those who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Are those believers or, or unbelievers? So that's the first kind of issue that that many who have many different uh, understandings of this passage, passage have to answer. Is that a believer or is it an unbeliever? Well, when it says shared in the Holy Spirit, to me, I kind of believe that he's talking about believers here. Agreed. The next part is, 
if they fall away. Well, once again, what does that mean? Is that a loss of salvation or something else? The Greek actually allows different interpretations of what fall away means, and we'll probably get into this a little bit. It seems to me that simply, it, I, I keep wanting to say Paul, I, I, I actually believe Paul wrote Hebrews, so I go, I go there. So the author of Hebrews, I think it is talking about loss of salvation. But if we just said that the believer has assurance, well, then how can a true believer lose their salvation? And so where I end up is going back to the very beginning of this passage where Paul says, it is impossible. And so I believe he's presenting an impossibility, a hypothetical impossibility, where he says, if a believer, so let me paraphrase it here, if a believer loses their salvation, they would have to crucify the Christ all over again, which is impossible because we know Mm -hmm. that he was sacrificed once for all and sat down at the right hand of the Father. However... Yeah, and and there are some other potential views to this, right? Which is what always makes the scripture um, quite the intellectually rigorous exercise to try to figure out actually what it's saying, because it it is it can be difficult. And I think you and I would both agree, all of us would agree, that what we're not talking about here is somebody who is authentically following Jesus and is maybe struggling with sin in their life, some sort of pattern of behavior, some kind of relational dynamic that they just are not. Um, where they need to be, and and they're struggling their way through it. I think a lot of people end up in that kind of pattern of behavior and say, oh, dear, did I just lose my salvation because it's now been three months and I don't feel like I'm experiencing change? Like, we just want to take that off the table entirely. We we still live in a broken and fallen world. We're still going to struggle with sin in this world. Uh, the Bible is very clear about all of those things. So we're we're, we're just going to take that piece off the table. Um, one other possibility going on in this passage, however, is that um, it starts with this this teaching about you need to have departed from the elementary teachings of Jesus. This takes us back into chapter 5, which comes before this passage in 6. And, um, and if you don't move past just basic elementary teachings and start growing up maturely in your faith, you're going to actually run significant risk of something. And, and it appears in this passage what they might be running risk of is that in the midst of the persecution that was happening to the Hebrew people, the, the Jews were persecuting them, uh, the Hebrew Christians, I should say, the Jews were persecuting them and the Roman Empire was persecuting them. They really believed that they were not going to die until they saw Jesus return. And now people in the community are dying. So they're questioning their faith. They're being persecuted. They're not sure that this is right. They're only drinking milk. They've just stayed within elementary teachings. They didn't grow up or mature at all. And in that, they ran risk of, of walking away from the faith. And so there are some writers who say, we're not talking about losing salvation because you're in a pattern of sin. But we are talking about some sort of active, um, deliberate, sort of almost vicious resistance to where somebody says, I am done with this whole thing. I am walking away. Uh, I am going to give up my faith. I want no part of it anymore. I was talking with my daughter a little bit about this passage today, too, and just sort of um, she brought up the passage about um, hell being a place where there's a gnashing of teeth and gnashing of teeth in, in, in the hellish life is not that the fire is really hot. Um, it is that uh, gnashing of teeth is a posture of resistance in the text. It, it goes along with being stiff-necked and hard of heart. And gnashing of teeth is, even now I will not yield. I will gnash my teeth at you. And so it appears that at least one possibility within Hebrews is that if you don't grow up into maturity in your faith, you are going to be at risk. It doesn't mean you will, but you'll be at risk to then deciding to walk away from this faith because persecution, hardship, difficulty, turmoil, all of that. And so... 
Um, some people would suggest that, yeah, you actually can walk away. But this we're not talking about our kids or our grandkids, people that are listening right now that are maybe deciding not to go to church. That, again, is a very different kind of thing, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about somebody who's like, I, I am done with this thing. At that point, um, the author is saying it's impossible to come back. You, you rejected this. There's no other route. And so you're, it's over for you is kind of the thinking. There is absolutely a, a an admonition in, in Hebrews that says, grow up in your faith, move on to that solid food, understand the deeper truths of God, you know, that kind of maturity that needs to come that I think comes when you when you grow in the faith and the knowledge of, of Christ, right? And and I, I love how you started that if because my own personal testimony is I spent about ten years when I went off to college, I tell people I stuck God in my pocket, right? <laughs> right. Now I I I was distracted by the things of the world, right? I followed other things. I wasn't actively seeking God those for that, you know, about a decade of my life. Um I was bearing little or no fruit for God. But do you know what? I would still remember at times to pray to know and and I deep down in my spirit, I also still knew that I was saved. I still knew I mm-hmm. knew God. And I also knew, by the way, that I I probably wasn't living my life the way I've been called and the way that he wanted to. So that's where this idea of assurance becomes so important, right? I agree. That, that even after the 10 years, when I finally, hey, something came into my life, actually, there's a number of things that came in my life where it's like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I need to follow God more. And I started to, and hopefully I never, ever put God back in my pocket ever again. But that's the kind of people that you were just talking about. So sure, we need to grow up in maturity. Um, so yeah, it, that, that very well could be part of this passage that says, hey, look, don't go away. Now, the question is, is that impossible word? That's what mm-hmm. throws me, right? Yeah, and that's and I think you faithfully articulated the one view that this is a hypothetical situation and thus impossible, and that other view was the idea it's impossible to come back because there isn't any other route, and you've rejected the one route after having shared in the fellowship. And again, I'm not advocating for that view, um, just kind of outlining what's there. I, I think what we can safely say um, and, and reiterate is, again, the struggle with sin is not evidence that you've lost your salvation. In fact, I would say as you're struggling against sin, it's probably evidence of your salvation because you are actually you're struggling, struggling with exactly, it. Exactly. And, and I think the other place maybe of comfort and solace people can take, because we talk about sometimes that the next generation isn't as interested in attending organized church. And we can interpret that lack of interest in attending organized church as people walking away from their faith. No, they're just walking away oftentimes from the way in which people have gathered related to their faith, they're still terribly interested in faith and in spiritual things. We just had a whole group of people, some maybe 25 or 30 people over this weekend for what we call the Sabbath gathering. Did we have a church and a, or did we have a building and a sign and a steeple and a website and a program and a staff? We didn't have any of those things, but we shared a meal together. There, We prayed together. We had communion together. I mean, that was a faithful gathering of uh, people of all walks of life. And I would call that church because that's what it's meant to be. So just want to really um, bring comfort to people to say, hey, if your grandson isn't going to church anymore, that doesn't mean that they lost your salvation. They might have done what you did, Jeff. They've put God in their pocket for a bit. Or if you're struggling with sin, we're not talking about that. The only thing that this passage might be talking about is somebody who raises their fist, they know better, and they say, under no circumstances am I coming back. Am I, I, I am done with this deal. Maybe there, there is some threat to that person. Yeah, that apostate person. Yeah, that, exactly. That, Apostasy. That one commentator you're talking about. Yeah. So indeed. Now you're looking at me. We are. We are. Bill. Yeah. Well, we okay. thought you'd yeah. sort of like decide which is the right view. 
Well, I will. I will after we take a short break. <laughs> You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. They do it so well. Let me know what the questions you have for them to chew on. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Dr. Peter Kapsner and Jeff Verdorn are my power panel today. Be right back. Today, you're listening to Guy Talker, Guys Who Talk, and it is also uh, Dr. Alan and Gail Curitan Day, all day, and also our station manager, Neil Stavum's last day. So don't think this is not an emotional day for us around here. It is. Yeah, I mean, worked here 46 years. Yeah, incredibly, incredible people of light. I had the opportunity. I know mm-hmm. most of our oh, listeners okay. know who Neil Stavum is, but maybe not as familiar with the president uh, of Northwestern. I've had yep. a chance to work under him for about seven years, and I just, nothing but respect for what he did in private and in public to continue God's word in this world. Yeah. it. Uh, I'm very hopeful. We've got a very bright future and a new leadership. Uh, Carissa Rogers is going to be phenomenal. But it's a little bit like going to Paul Bunyan land and Paul Bunyan's not there. (laughs) (laughs) When you walk into Faith Radio and there's no Neil Stavum. Right. Right. Because how long has it been again? 46 years. 46 years. And, of course, he went to school here. So, you know, he's four years of college and then 46 years of working here. He's been around here for 50 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and a man who I think learned the secret of what, um, where you grow strong in kingdom life through humility and through service and lifting other people up. I mean, he just... Yeah, I mean, nobody's perfect, but I can't imagine having worked under a better person in this environment, for yeah. sure. And yeah. he has uh, such biblical depth and discernment and wisdom, and he always had your back. Yeah, 100%. Always, always, always. Yep. Yep, and I know that will continue. I remember hearing his voice on the radio long before I ever stepped foot into the studios yeah. a few years back, yeah. and, and uh, for years. So, yeah, um, very distinguishable distinguishable yes. pipes. Yes, for yeah, sure those are good, good pipes. All right, let's uh, let's pick up a little bit where we left off, but let's talk this time instead of possibly losing your salvation, which Hebrews six raises that weird little thought to. Let's go to the assurance of salvation. Mm-hmm. Jeff. Well, and Jeff, you talk a lot about this, but I think we're just talking about if, if you stay humble and surrendered and yielded to God. I mean, there's just there's nothing to worry about here. I mean, there there is the it, this is what God does for us, not our ability to prove out our salvation. There's something very different when we talk about assurance of salvation. We're trusting God in that. Correct. Yeah. He says that when we're saved, he says he keeps our salvation in heaven for us, shielded by God's power Hmm. until that day of redemption. He says that I hold you in in my hands and nothing can take you out of my hands. There's this idea of being his possession, right? That you are now not your own. You are God's possession. Who can steal something from God that's God's <laughs> possession? And the answer is nobody can, right. Right? right? It's kind of like, do you remember the movie Toy Story? You remember the first thing he did was when he got the Buzz Lightyear is he wrote his name. What was his name? <laughs> yeah. It was uh, uh, Andy. Andy, yes. He wrote Andy you. on the bottom. Well, God actually says that he writes on us his name. We are his possession. I mentioned Ephesians 1 earlier about 
And this is also in, in Peter where he says we've received the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Um, he gives us the Holy Spirit forever. There's just so many passages. I actually have a, a list. I think it's about 22 pages long of passages in, in the New Testament that testify to our assurance of salvation mm. that what he began in us, here's another one, he will complete, right? So over and over and over. And, and I just thought I'd go to Hebrews 7 really quick because this is right after Hebrews 6, which we were just talking about. There's this idea that Jesus is our high priest and that uh, the, the concept in Hebrews 7, as long as that high priest is there interceding for you, you're good with God. But in the old system, these priests would die. In this new priesthood of Christ, he always lives. He says, it says in the passage, he lives forever and therefore is always alive to intercede for us. So actually, our salvation is uh, if you will, our security is based on whether or not we continue to have a high priest interceding for us. It's a good thing that Jesus lives forever and continues to intercede for us. Yeah, and I, I think about somebody who I would utterly trust um, and give my whole life to, they would need to be utterly faithful, <laughs> right? And 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 God is nothing else, but I mean, he's everything else, and but nothing but not utterly faithful. And And so I just love some of those Old Testament passages where when people are confused about heading into the unknown and they're not sure and all the forces seem arrayed against them, what do we read? Remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it, to to chart into an unknown future, it just helps so much to look back at the past. Is there any uh, any evidence anywhere where God was not faithful? And he has been faithful 100% of the time and will be faithful and is worthy of our trust all the way through. And and that faithfulness of God as demonstrated throughout the entire arc of human history that I think should give us some measure of comfort here in 2022 and, and, and beyond if we're struggling with our own sense of salvation. It's based on God's faithfulness, not based on our ability to to navigate our sin perfectly in this world. Uh, we just need to keep the fight moving forward and trust God's faithfulness that he'll hold us in his hand. Absolutely. If it was up to us to keep ourselves saved, we would fall short every single every day. So our foundation of this truth of assurance is built on God's faithfulness, as you just described. Indeed. I'd like to hear some more assurance verses, Jeff. If you've got 22 pages, there must be uh, several <laughs> several that come to your mind, places you land regularly that you are just comforted by. Well, the the guarantee is one, but there's also this concept that God promises for believers something called glorification, that we are promised a new body that we will be resurrected. And over and over in Scripture, God gives this promise to believers, and, and really it's an unconditional promise. There's no conditions attached to this. So we shall be made like him who is glorified, Jesus. Uh, we will be resurrected. His promise over and over again is that this will happen. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, one day, uh, come resurrection day, you will receive a glorified body. It's, in fact... Uh, Romans 8 says that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. I believe that is a statement that says God has promised it. He's faithful, as Peter was just talking about, to do what he has promised. So our assurance is not a based, is not based on us, but it's based on the promises of God. Hmm. And that's just one other aspect of, of this kind of assurance doctrine. Yeah, that passage that we've been referencing this whole time from Hebrews 6, uh, verses 4 through 8, it has this little phrase in it. That, that says you've tasted of the powers of the coming age. 
And when you talk about this this glorification idea, we do await to drop our perishable body so that we're raised imperishable and in an entirely different kind of life where the eternal life of God begins to inhabit the eternal imperishable body that he provides for us. But there is this promise that I think is worth talking about in terms of how we do grow up in our faith in this life. And, and you taste of the powers of the coming age. It's it's like God has provided little care packages of our future or a little taste or a trailer of that which is to come. And it's actually real. Like when we grow up in our faith and we truly begin to love one another, for example, from the inside out, not because we think we're supposed to, but we actually start growing in the love of God or we grow in faithfulness or we grow in kindness or gentleness. And now we're using some of the fruit of the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. We're actually all of those experiences that we have with one another within the body of Christ are actually trailers of the full life to come. Like whatever else life is going to be like on the other side, it is going to be the full smorgasbord of this of this fruit of the spirit that we get a little taste of. And I, so I love that passage in, in Romans 6 where it says, when you are inhabited by the spirit together, you begin to taste of the powers of the coming age. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a, an assurance that even comes in that that says, wow, I'm tasting something otherworldly and future in my present, and that's where I'm headed. I'm going to keep walking this way uh, as opposed to walking these other ways. That one's not in my list. By no, wow, but you had better that one in. I wanted to read Second Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I mean, that kind Where's of wraps up. First Corinthians... I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Hmm. Yeah, and that deposit language is exactly what we were talking about. We have this inheritance. Again, the deposit is the trailer. It's all of those ideas. I just, that has always been terribly compelling to me to say that we get a little taste of our future. Hmm. And, and, and that taste really, as we taste of it, just even as we sit around on a random afternoon on Guy Talk like this, there there is a taste of something otherworldly here. There is. Uh, I, I would suggest that, even further persuades me and assures me that this really is the path that has been both walked by all of those people for these thousands of years and will be walked by the faithful people yet to come until we're all reunited in heaven. Just one more real quick. Yeah, the end ahead. of First John chapter 5, he finishes his epistle and he says this, yeah, write these things to those of you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that one phrase right there, if somehow some way it was possible for the believer to lose their salvation, John would never be able to write those words that you may know. Mm -hmm. I know that I have eternal life because God has promised it in his word. And I can rest on that foundation of his faithfulness that you talked about earlier. Right. This is great. Hmm. Really good. I'm going to go to break, but before, here's a listener comment. Uh, Justin said, the visual I like to think about when contemplating the assurance of salvation is when God put Abraham to sleep and made a covenant with him. In that same way, God makes a covenant with us. There mm. is nothing that we do to uh, to keep us in our salvation. God will hold us in his hand until the day he comes again. That's beautiful. That's really well Really said. good. Yeah, really yeah, well Yeah, really said. good. All right, let me know what your questions are. We're going to continue our discussion with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and Jeff Ferdorn, but text the questions over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Hope you're having a great day. I love that you're with us today. We'll be right back.
Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. So glad you're with us today. Us being uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and Jeff Verdorn. That is the power panel uh, talk for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. And they do it well. So let me know what questions you have for us. 877-933-2484. I'm not ready to get off the assurance topic yet. Sorry. <laughs> it's your Just show. Not, I, it's your show. Well, not really. I'm not even in the power chair today. <laughs> you are. I know. I know. I don't even get it. I feel like a fish out of water today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing over here. But it, it, I mean, I, my head's getting a little bigger it by, by the mean, minute. Yeah. 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 You have the cough button. And I, I thought do. I'll offer you that if you need it. So uh, I'm sitting in the guest chair today. Yeah, but this, it, you know, the first shall be last, and he was served. And there's all kinds of passages yeah, that, that represent your spiritual, yeah. your goodness Jeff, right would now. you talk now? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm enjoying your conversation. <laughs> I'm not. Your little banter about where you I'm sat. not. You did surprise me when you sat over there okay, today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, let's go back to assurance. I'm yeah. not done. I'm not done talking about assurance. I think this is something people would like to hear more about. Well, Jeff, doesn't he have the 22 20, pages? 22 yeah, there's pages. all kinds. Of, if he just keeps yeah, reading, we'll just keep commenting. Yeah. yeah, I know it. Well, there's this concept. Let's go. <laughs> let's go here with this idea because there's you know about 20 different lines of thinking to show the doctrine of assurance. But let's talk about the things that happen the moment that we're saved, right? So let's start rattling off, I and we can that. popcorn this. We receive the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? We're redeemed. We're justified. We're made a child of God. We are adopted. We're forgiven we're given eternal life if you think of one throwing you i mean all these things we're we're born again we're made new our heart is circumcised all of these things that happen the moment that we are saved so when we believe god saves us these are all his works mm-hmm. right salvation is all god's work no one can forgive themselves no one can make them a new creation no one can make themselves a child of god and so on it sounds like a very significant event it's salvation <laughs> it is, is the biggest event. Seems like a, a bit of a game changer. It does. It does. It yeah. does and, and, it, and it is that. And Jeff, one of the things we were chatting about before that I just started reading about was uh, there's a, a couple of different theologians, N.T. Wright and Michael Heiser, both would indicate that part of whatever happened in the fall of men and women was that they gave up their vocation, that we, that we were given a vocation by God in Genesis 1 and 2 to steward over his earth, to rule and reign in, in a, in a um, servant kind of way, to guard and tend his creation, and, and to keep his light active in the world as his image bearers. And we gave up that vocation. We actually gave it over to the principalities and powers of this world. And so part of what happens in that salvation moment, too, that I really hadn't considered until later in life was that our vocation is restored to us. Mm-hmm. We, we are now sons and daughters and, uh, and we're kings and queens. We're, we're priests in, in his priesthood. And so we have this vocation of stewardship uh, of his kingdom. While we wait for the, for the coming fullness of the kingdom, we still steward and, and we are now the light of the world. And that's a huge um, piece of the puzzle for people to say, wow, my vocation was actually restored to me. Oh, so yes, we become heavenonians. We become citizens of heaven. I love that. Our, our kingdom is restored to us. Our vocation is restored to us. Um, you know, on and on. This list goes on and on. There is no place in scripture that describes all of these things as being undone. Mm. Think about it. If you were to lose your salvation... You would have to be unforgiven, unredeemed, unjustified. Your your vocation would have to be taken back. Mm-hmm. God, now, the only one that is 
hints at in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit. Remember in the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, the cry is, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I think David cried out, don't take your spirit from me. But remember, nobody in the Old Testament received the sealing of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. the indwelling Holy Spirit, like we do in the New Testament. That's what makes a New Testament believer. In the Old Testament, the Spirit, God sent the Spirit to anoint prophets and kings and so on for a time, but he could take a spirit away. God says in the New Testament after the cross that he gives you the Spirit forever. If if you were to lose your salvation, one of the past, one of the things that happened when you're saved is your old self is crucified, the new self is resurrected. Well, God would have to crucify the new self and resurrect the old self. Do, does any of this sound like it's anywhere in the New Testament? So all, all these concepts are foreign to the New Testament of the things that would have to be undone mm-hmm. if you could lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. Well, and... I love some of the language of the New Testament where it talks about you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we're inevitably struggling in this life with whatever we're going to struggle with, when when it talks about you are receiving the Holy Spirit, that is an individual experience, but it's also meant to be a group experience. It's meant to be um, a community of people in whom the Spirit dwells. Uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So instead of the, mm-hmm. the Spirit being um, behind the veil of the curtain in the Holy of Holies, now the Spirit is dwelling among His people. So if I start struggling in my faith, um, one of the great and dare I say unutilized resources or underutilized resources is that um, you stay within the body and begin to experience the strength of the body as you are weak. And, and even Corinthians talks about you are in one body. And so um, you can't have weakness over here and have it not affect the rest of the body. But the strength of the body should come after the weakness going on in the body, too. And we should all be working together in this because we do have the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it's also supposed to be a we in which we're sharing in the the drinking of the Holy Spirit, as as Corinthians talks about. Hmm. Smart listener that knows their Bible just texted over Genesis fifteen seventeen. God alone ratified the covenant with Abraham, passing between the animals in a smoking furnace burning lamp. Yeah, yeah. Abraham actually did not have to do anything to right. keep the covenant that God made with him. Yeah. Uh, you could say circumcision, but remember that was just a sign of the covenant. It was not a condition of the covenant. So Abraham didn't actually have to do anything to have that covenant remain in effect. It was something God promised. God is going to make it happen. It's still future. Mm-hmm. Uh, his children still haven't inherited the land for good. That's going to happen in the future. Uh, but it was. it's based on that faithfulness of God. God promised it. It's going to happen. So too our salvation. And never forget, part of our salvation— is that glorification, and that's all that inheritance that we were talking about earlier. It is. I I think there's a conversation on the flip side of this, too, that remains important, is that as much as we assure for salvation, I think you have to ask the question, so, but then why do you grow in your faith? If if this is a a done deal, you know, why would you want to grow? Well, it's a good idea, or it seems like it's your duty, or, you know, whatever language you want to put on it. But I I think that Hebrews passage that we started this show with does teach us some things about that, that um, we are going to be susceptible to um, real significant difficulties in this world. And I think people can get taken out of the race. I'm not talking about losing their salvation, but I think they can be rendered relatively imp- impotent in this world if, they, if they're if they not growing strong. It's like any other vocation we might have, right? If you're not growing in your vocation, uh, you're, you're going to um, be rendered kind of useless in that vocation. And, um, I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but, boy, does this world need some mature light-bearing, faithful, kind, mm-hmm. humble people. I mean, we just got done talking about that this is the last day of Neil Stavum at Faith Radio and Alan Kirtan and his wife at, at Northwestern. And 
These were, they held positions of public prominence, but knowing in the behind the scenes, they were also faithful, gentle, humble people that were not easily shaken. Um, and, and even Hebrews talks about your ability to then discern that which is consistent with the kingdom and that which isn't in real time. Like we, we need people growing in wisdom and, and, and courage and strength, but again, of the kingdom variety, um, so that we're not taken out in this. You know, you raise this issue that some don't like this doctrine of assurance, and even some teachers and pastors, because if we teach assurance of salvation, won't they? Won't the flock just go do whatever they want? Like right. you were talking about at the start of this, your 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 discussion there, and and Paul actually raises and answers this very question after Romans five, after describing this great salvation that we have. Now, I don't know that there's specifically an assurance passage in chapter 5 of Romans, but then after describing this great salvation, chapter 6 starts with this this question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, because grace covers sin, Mm -hmm. the salvation means total forgiveness. Well, then can I just go do whatever I want? Is his question that he's asking. And that's why I think some are afraid to actually teach this amazing grace that God has poured out on us. He answers the question with this, by no means in the King James, I think it says, God forbid. Yeah, I think in the Living Bible it says, well, that would be dumb. That would be so, yeah, right? <laughs> Something along those lines, right? Yeah. He says, he goes on, Paul goes on to say, we've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? And, and that's the call of God in our lives. Now mm-hmm. that he's made you holy and blameless before him, that's how he wants you to live in this world, the, the type of person you were just describing. Yeah, and, and I think actually grace really, when um, experienced in its fullness, begins to naturally and supernaturally drive us into that growth because it humbles us and it breaks us. And and that passage says that where our sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Like this is one of these moments where if we just let the scripture be the scripture in our lives, if we just if we don't just read it, but we actually pause to think about what that means, most of the time where we think where our sin abounds, punishment abounds. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who has decided to yield their life and follow Jesus, and now as again, as we've talked about multiple times this hour, struggling with their sin, um, the world is probably going to meet our falling short with some measure of punitive um, uh, realities, expectations, circumstances. It's going to punish us. It's going to take us out. But God's kingdom, again, if we just let it be what it is, God actually greets our abounding sin with even greater abounding grace. And and I know that in my life, when I've walked through seasons um, of just really difficult patterns of sin, because, you know, the spiritual battle is difficult, that um, being broken by his grace and, and just saying, you know what, I just do not have what it takes. I cannot do this anymore. I cannot start. Like when that's happening and you're still met with amazing grace, how sweet the sound that I would sing that song that continues to save a wretch like me. Um, and, and I, and I understand that song is, is meant to be a sort of a salvation moment song, but, but that promise I think continues to persist in our life and that grace continues to meet us. And why wouldn't I want to serve the king of this kingdom in increasing ways and grow strong in these, in these ways? Because he's so utterly faithful and kind and, um, compassionate and long suffering. I mean, this is the language of the God that we serve. And, mm-hmm. and alongside of that, of course, God is going to come with judgment on sin and make no mistake. We, we, we can't go that direction with it too. But I don't think we can talk enough for the believer of the compassionate, graceful, moving towards coming into your life, God, that he actually is. That sin equals punishment is hard to get over even for the believer. It is. I mean, you know, think about the disciples of Jesus when they saw the man who was blind 
from birth, they says, was it his sin or his father's sin? And Jesus says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Right. We, we, we often for 2,000 years or longer, because this is actually some of Job thought the same thing, that sin leads to punishment from God. But remember, as a believer in Christ Jesus, God's judgment, his punishment, his condemnation has been lifted from the New Testament believers. So therefore, there is now, Romans 8, no, no condemnation, condemnation yeah. for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm. Nice, nice, nicely done. All right. Here's another comment made. Whenever I discuss losing your salvation with someone, the conversation usually goes to a question of whether or not they were ever had salvation. Well, that's a, and and we can't know mm-hmm. the answer to that, right? right? I can talk about the doctrine of salvation, about assurance, and that you cannot lose your salvation. So the next question is: Everybody's got. You know, well, their Uncle Bart or their, you know, Aunt Milda, you know, has walked away from the faith. You know, tell me what were they truly saved or not? And I say, I can't tell you Mm -hmm. individually about a a person because I can't see their heart. I don't know if they were truly born again or if they were just kind of mouthing the words and playing Christianity. So when they walked away, I do know this that I believe that if they were truly born again, they will be saved forever. That's what we've been talking about. Um, But if they've walked away, chances are maybe they weren't truly saved. They Mm. were just plain Christian. Maybe they just, you know, believed they were Christian and really weren't, never had that that faith in their heart that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. Um, So if that's the case, uh, you know, I can explain the doctrine, I can't apply it to any individual because we can't see someone's heart. Yeah, so true. All right, we're going to take a huddle and then uh, come up with a game plan for the next uh, segment of Guide Talk. Some great questions coming in, and I'm going to talk to the, the team here during the break. So that, That's unusual. Well, we're, we're going to get usually, like 60 seconds usually, of warning. Usually I ignore you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but today's going to be different. <laughs> so thanks for your questions. Keep them coming. 877-933-2484. Peter Kapsner and Jeff Verdorn is my power panel today on Guide Talk. Or guys who talk. saying that we we're going to have a, a team huddle meeting during the break. We got distracted. We got distracted, and now I have no idea where we're going. What did we talk about last I, segment again? I don't even remember. Yeah, the attention span yeah. is limited here. Yeah, it's yeah. very limited. Well, it's got the big 4th of July weekend coming up, so you it know, does. you have a little bit of distraction here and there. But, so yeah, I, do, I don't know I don't know what we're going to do now. <laughs> you did have some text coming in, right? I had lots of text, yeah. But I just thought there, uh, there are more things we want to mm. uh, talk about relative to this discussion, and there are some more texts that have come in uh, regarding this. So there was a, a, a few other passages that came in that uh, people wanted to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I mean, uh, and, and I think we're we're doing the best that we can to lay out what the possible, what, what seems to be the scriptural witness in these, um, in this conversation. Right. And, and I think we, we can't emphasize enough uh, the idea of God's faithfulness and the assurance of our salvation. Um, I do think 
there certainly are hints in some of the passages that have come in that I think fairly understood do allow for the possibility of post-confession apostasy where somebody is going to walk away from that. Jeff and I were talking during the break. But even that, if you allow for that idea, which again, I think is very possible, how do you discern when it's actual apostasy versus somebody who's having a temper tantrum like like a child might and say, I'm done with this family, I'm walking away from home. I think it's impossible to discern those things. So even for allowing for the possibility of a, of a post-confession apostasy, um, then you still have now another question, which is part of It's always just a rabbit trail, right, Jeff? I mean, you, you open up one question and two more emerge. And <laughs> and maybe just one thing we can say about that before we continue the, the discussion is that we always have to remember that our faith uh, does not rely entirely or even at all on our own understanding. That when we pursue these things, it's an act of worship. It's not to get to a point, well, now I think I understand enough that God is worthy of my trust. Ooh. No, God is worthy of my trust. And then everything from there is an act of worship that yeah, you move forward like. with. But but the only invitation for all of us is to give up your life. Yeah, I agree. You know, you have you have this idea. God says that if you believe in me, the simple transaction, the simple kind of conditional statement, this simple offer that God makes to people, if you believe, then I will save you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and so sal- what salvation, the initial salvation is simply a matter of what you just said, is putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The man on the cross next to Jesus, I always go here because it's such a powerful picture of somebody turning to Christ, and he said, Jesus, this is all he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed who this man was. Who is this man, Jesus? He believed him. And he believed that Jesus had the power to bring him into a future kingdom, even though they were both about to die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jesus said, remember me, or, or, today you will be with me in paradise. So I believe that man was saved, that thief on the cross was saved, because he believed and he entrusted. And mm-hmm. in the end, that's the simple transaction God offers. Now, I believe once that transaction happens, it's done for all of eternity. That takes nothing away from God's call on our life. He wants us to live holy. He wants us to bear fruit for him. He wants us to live set apart lives. He wants to live us to live differently in this world. He wants us to avoid sin. He wants us to grow up in faith and all of those other things. And you know, sometimes we don't do that perfectly. Mm. But I, I'm thankful that he still holds me in his hand. Well, and I think you you used an interesting word along with belief there, uh, where you also said entrusted. And I think we have to also um, always take care to define what we mean when we talk about believe. Again, it's not the strength of my intellectual conviction. It's not the idea that I might not doubt um, or that I don't understand some of the stories. Like belief in the biblical standpoint, I mean, you do always such a good job with this within the original language, what it meant. And again, we have to go away from the idea of like how strongly I am certain that something is true because that's not what belief is. It actually is in the midst of your lack of certainty that you still decide to trust, that the heart of belief is trust and not certainty. And so you know, in your uncertainty, uh, uncertainty, you still trust. It wouldn't be trust if you had everything certain. I mean, right at the end of the day, it'd be like, well, I don't have to trust anything because I know it all. No, you're trusting that the God of heaven is who he says he is in that um, he sees, uh, you know, in a magnitude infinitely greater than ours, all of what's in front of us and in this world and what he's doing and how he's operating. Our only role in that is to bend our knee and mm-hmm. and to trust mm-hmm. in, in that. So we're not talking in the confusing questions that come in week after week in guide talk. They're confusing for all of us, right? But if we base our faith on the strength of our intellectual certainty, we're all in big trouble at the end of the day. But I will entrust my faith to a person called Jesus. And mm-hmm. so when my head hits the pillow at night, 
I don't rest in in um, a sense of comfort because I'm some fancy theologian that has all these you know letters and understand. I don't. I mean, I have as many questions as anybody else does about this, but I rest in comfort because I'm in relationship with the one who is the truth, not that I have the full picture of all that is the truth. If that makes sense, you know, if that was true, then only smart people could get saved. Yeah, and Jesus said. You must come to me like a child in simple faith. And, and in fact, it's often the intellectually puffed up and yeah. astute are the ones that don't. Have trouble. Yeah, because they keep trusting in their own sense of self and idolatry and everything else. It's, it's why. Why, you guys, why are you guys looking this direction? Well, I mean, we thought maybe you'd <laughs> like to come in next, Bill. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, just as a powerful witness of a biblical <laughs> hey, truth, thank right? You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it is. So if we just read the stories of Jesus and you see who actually comes at the table. I mean, my word, it, I, I don't know when it got so upside down that we put up on pedestals these important intellectually, you know, strong people or whatever, and that somehow we rule out the people that are the highways and the byways. The, all of the people of Jesus's early kingdom were the rabble of the highways and byways because they weren't under any illusion that they had it all together. It was, it was much easier for them to walk in trust. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that I did not come with to you with wise and, and, and words and with men's persuasive arguments and so on, but with power mm. of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, when the, the Pharisees were talking, who are these unlearned? These are unlearned men. What did they know? And yet they're coming with power. And it's like, that's exactly how a Christian works. If you're relying on your own skill and ability, God doesn't need, doesn't need your ability. He mm. wants your availability uh, to work in and through you. Moses didn't, no, no, I don't know how to speak very well, and I'm not a leader. And I, so God said, okay, well, go to speech class and go to leadership school, and then I'll talk to you in 10 <laughs> years. No, he said, I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to be with you. Mm, love that. Peter, you said something, I think, a couple of years ago that I have not been able to forget, and it was um, about how you can have the best message prepared, and as you are delivering the message, oh the words are just falling on the ground flat. <laughs> and almost You have as, to bring that up again. I do, because, because <laughs> this has stuck with me. Yeah, because when when I come into the studio every day and I think, well, I want my words to have God's authority. I want my words to penetrate. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want you want words that that are gospel oriented that are going to transform lives and change people. So um, when you have all this beautiful message prepared and you felt like you didn't, I don't know what word you used, but you didn't have the God's anointing yeah. on that message or something like that. Yeah, I think right in that category of language, and boy, oh boy, yeah. it was it was terrifying. I mean, yeah. you, you spend all week preparing the sermon, and you're pretty sure your stories are solid. You're pretty sure that your biblical <laughs> yeah. content is, yeah. is faithful. And yeah. and you, you like, there's been these moments where I'm, I'm just going to crush it I this know. morning. I mean, this is going to be the best sermon, best sermon ever. ever. Yeah. And I stand up, and I can't wait, and I get up in that pulpit, and I start talking, and I'm using some rhetorical flourishes yeah. and you know everything, and also I'm like, Oh my gosh, my words are falling right in front of me dead. There is yeah. no life in them at all. Mm. And and the subtlety of how I trusted in either my oratorical ability sure. or or my biblical knowledge or whatever it all is, I just served an idol and I didn't even know it. And now I'm up in front of how many ever people going, oh, great. This is just great. Way, way yeah. to go, idolatrous capsner. And you, like, you have to even repent in the spot. And I've done that. I've had to repent on the spot and say, oh my gosh, this is your kingdom and your glory and your honor. And if you don't give life to this, then there is no hope for the people who desperately need it. This this is not dependent on me. You know, the flip side of that is there's been a couple times where I was scheduled to speak someplace and I didn't feel prepared mm-hmm. to speak. <laughs> and it's like, I, I've, I remember one instance, it's like, oh Lord, I've been, I, I didn't, because I, I like to 
create notes and lists and, you know, passages and get kind of my charts. thoughts organized, right? <laughs> Do you have charts? Yeah, charts. Yeah, Does he have charts? Jeff yeah, Jordan, oh, yeah. Yeah, Jeff yeah, charts. right. <laughs> but I, I remember one time and I was sitting in my car and it's like, Lord, I don't feel prepared. It's like, you have to show up. You just have to show up. I need your strength and your power and just bring things to my remembrance and help me get through this and so on and so forth. And he always does. Mm-hmm. He shows up. Yeah, he does. I was thinking when you were telling that story, my dad uh, was in Africa just doing some Bible translation work and not at all prepared uh, to to give any kind of talk. And especially within the diversity of people that were there that with whom he was primarily unfamiliar. And they said, oh, well, you're a visitor. It's time for you to give the sermon. And it was like, I think he had maybe 15 minutes and uh, there were several thousand people there. But but it's just oh interesting goodness. if God is actually real then that probably means that God is accessible to us in ways that we both understand and don't understand. And God just began to just help shape within him, even just so much of his own life experience of following Jesus. And he's able to craft something faithful to the kingdom on the spot that wow. has life to it, because it does have sort of the um, the wings of the spirit would maybe be one way to say it, that we just simply can't generate with our own marketing techniques. I mean, I know that we're just about out of time here, but but sermon classes and seminary drove me up a wall because we are taught how to hook the audience with a funny little story, give uh, maybe three points that all rhymed or started with the same letter, <laughs> yeah. and then we end with a poem, so they're crying at the end. And everybody leaves. And was like, well, what was that all about? Did we Were we actually even faithful to and anything in the, the kingdom? that's the model you hear all over the country when yeah. you go to churches. That is the model. A successful sermon was keeping people interested for 20 minutes. If you did that, you got out of Dodge, and you were in great you know, great shape. But it didn't mean anything in terms, potentially, of kingdom life, dare I say. So. All right, yeah. we're going to take a break, but I do have a very special surprise and treat for you when we return. Turn. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but uh, here's a hint. Keep uh, texting questions at 877-933-2484, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.